Well, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to start a series on the Beatitudes. Um, I would just say after doing my study, <clears throat> think about the last part of it, attitude. Be attitude. It's about attitude. The Greek, uh, actually the Latin word root for uh, Beatitude is both blessed and happy. Blessed and happy. And so that's why sometimes you'll hear the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, happy are those who, happy are those who, blessed are those who. But if we go a little deeper into the Greek, the actual word uh, really means blessed. It's used 44 times as blessed, four times as good, one as fortunate, and one as happier. So the real, true... uh, best definition is blessed. But I titled this message, uh, gosh, I've gone through maybe four different titles of today's message. It's like titling a movie. Um, What's going to get the best impact? So after going through it, Jesus's secrets to the kingdom of God, or an introduction to the Beatitudes that we just discussed. It's about attitude and Matthew 5 uh, has the most detailed version of it, Matthew 5. Or you could call it Eight Steps to Receiving God's Favor. That's actually what blessed uh, means in the Greek, is receiving God's favor. The audience is really a quite broad audience. Uh, When the people gathered around Jesus... Uh, The multitudes gathered around him, and when uh, he was ready, he sat down and he started teaching. Funny uh, factoid is that teachers back in the day sat down and listeners stood up. So you guys want to try that? Shall I sit down and you guys stand up? (laughs) That's how they did it back then supposedly to keep everyone awake. I guess that would work, right? If everybody's standing up. So now we've reversed the roles. Now I have to do jumping jacks, be a comedian, comedian up here, tell a joke or two to keep you awake. But the audience is very interesting. <clears throat> the crowd was there, and certainly the congregation, that is uh, religious people, Jewish people, Followers of Christ, followers of hope in the coming Messiah, all those people were there. And what Rick Warren talks about in his Purpose Driven Church is there's the crowd, organize your church around who your target audience is, Uh, whether it's a fellowship or a Sunday worship, is it for the crowd, is it for the congregation, or is it for the core people, true followers, So this message is about the crowd and the congregation and Jesus teaching the purpose of the Beatitudes are how to become a true follower of God, a true follower. So we talked about what it means. It means blessed. It's not a self-help, quick, easy steps to happiness, okay, So if you see a version of that, happy are those who, it's not that at all. 
In fact, it talks about um, being blessed by God or receiving God's favor. So there it is there. We're going to read through it. It's out of Matthew, what what did I say? Five, three? Matthew 3, Um, receiving God's favor. So let's read through those. Blessed, and I intentionally put blessed in smaller type, so you would focus on the other words, okay? In fact, you could read it without the blessed. I think that has more impact, because when we read it, it's kind of, I don't know, when we read it, when I read it, we often hear the blessed are those Happy are those, and it's kind of a happy are those who mourn. You know, we kind of focus on those, that part of it, don't we? Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. It's kind of this opposite thing, right? Happy are those who are poor, for there's the kingdom of God. <laughs> we, we, we kind of trail off at the end of it. So I want to de-emphasize the blessed and the happy And the first part of it, we'll read. For those who are poor in spirit, this is the emphasis that I want you to focus on. For those who learn to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that take a little different take on that first one? Rather than, blessed are those who are poor. You know, the contradiction and dichotomy, right? If you're poor, you're blessed. Does, does that mean if I'm, I'm money-wise poor, you know, if I'm below the poverty line, that I'm going to be blessed? Is that what it means? Okay? If you just take a cursory look at it. But those who learn to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's why I retitled the message, Secrets to the Kingdom of God taught by Jesus. The second one, those who learn to mourn, they will be comforted. And we'll get to that later, maybe next week. Maybe we'll take a week and take one or two at a time. Does it mean mourning, like like losing someone, losing a family member? Is that what it means? That's usually how it's quoted, right? In times of bereavement, Uh, We will often pray and kind of quote this uh, to the families and friends, right? God promises a blessing for those who mourn, for you will be comforted. Those who learn to be meek, here's another one, will inherit what? The earth. Oh my gosh. That's a little different read on it rather than, Blessed are the meek. Oh, you mean if I'm just kind of quiet and meek, I'll be blessed? That's usually how we look at it. But those who learn to be meek will inherit the earth. Look at these statements. If you learn to be poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. If you learn to be meek, they will inherit the earth. Those who learn to hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled that's going to take some study. To, those are simple words, but what does that really mean, right? Filled. And it goes on, verse 7. Those who are merciful, they will be shown mercy. 
That one sounds pretty straightforward, but we'll get into that one later on. Those who learn to be pure in heart, for they will see God. Who wants to inherit the earth? Who wants to inherit the kingdom? Who wants to see God? We're talking to the crowd, visitors, you know, people that are religious, non-religious, people that come on Christmas and Easter, you drag your relatives to be somehow in church to get them a little religion. Who wants to see God? If that's you, I'd pay attention to the Beatitudes. Learn to be peacemakers, for they will be called what? Children of God. Who wants to see God? Who wants to be counted as a child of God? Who wants to have the kingdom of heaven? For those that are persecuted for righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, that's my intro. How'd you like my intro? I spent a lot of time on that intro. So don't just look at the Beatitudes like, oh, this is a Sermon on the Mount. Eight steps to happiness. Happier are those who are poor. Happier are those who are below the poverty line. So God's going to count you blessed. Is that what that means? Happier are those who have loss. Right? That's like an oxymoron, right? Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Is that what it really means? No. Jesus is speaking in these huge (laughs) one-liners, all right, about secrets to inheriting the kingdom of God and seeing God. I mean, this is the desire of the Apostle Paul, right, our uh, pastor of pastors, you know. He says, now we only see in part like in a mirror, right? Everything that we see is just a a taste, a foretaste. So when we uh, move beyond this earth, we're going to see God face to face and all mysteries and all answers, questions will be answered. Here Jesus is kind of saying, this is how you could see God and inherit the kingdom. So a couple of other notes. The blessings appear to be in order, not some random order. They seem to be a progression that get, it starts with your internal attitude and becomes more difficult to the point of blessed are those who are persecuted. Being meek and mournful and poor is a whole lot easier than becoming persecuted or for righteousness sake, right? So it appears to get more difficult. Maybe it's a step. Maybe there is a, like, language, right? Uh, Spanish 101, Spanish 201, Spanish 301. Maybe they building on each other. So that's one way to approach these eight steps of the Beatitudes. Um, it starts with being poor in spirit, more, being mourn, mournful, meek. That's like an internal attitude, and it appears to progress to more socially uh, oriented. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are merciful. So that's, that's action that's out here. So the Beatitudes can uh, be 
summarized or thought of that blessedness, the kingdom of heaven, awaits those who learn to uh, change their heart, their mind, their be attitude. Those who learn to change their attitude and actions. Those who learn to change their attitude and actions. All right. After the Beatitudes, it continues. We often take things out of context. So that's one of the joys of being your weekly uh, preacher, is that I get to study not just, you know, some pithy, sane, you know, rather some fortune cookie, Sunday, uh, daily bread with with a story behind it. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus goes into, though he doesn't necessarily say, those who follow all these things are going to be salt and light in the, in the world. But that's the order. Jesus goes right into saying, he describes that true disciples will be salt of the earth. So I'm gathering that if these teachings are truly followed, truly understood, Jesus goes on to describe that true disciples will be salt of the earth. And he goes on to use another metaphor, salt of the earth. What does that mean? And you'll be light to the world. You'll be salt and light to the world. So Jesus uses two metaphors. Light that gives light to everyone. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others. Well, what does this metaphor mean? And then in the last line, it says, shine your light that they may see your good deeds. So here it is, a change in attitude. Blessed are those inheriting the kingdom. Starts with a change in your be attitude and results in your good deeds. Results in your good deeds. Attitude and then action. For everything to glorify God in heaven. So there's my introduction. We're going to tackle the first one. Uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. I think this one is truly foundational. <clears throat> I think I agree with other preachers that um, you have to take the first step first. I think that's true. You're not going to inherit secrets to the kingdom of heaven, being a child of God, without understanding that we need to be poor in spirit. What does that mean? It's not lacking money, okay? It doesn't mean that those that are impoverished, those are the true disciples. (laughs) They're going to inherit the kingdom. Is that true? Well, if that's true, most of America ain't going to get there. (laughs) We're not going to get there if this is true. We're talking about third world countries are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Is that, is that what it means? I don't, th- I don't think so. Although there are passages about, you know, the, the, the rich young ruler who met Jesus and asked, how do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus, he said, I did all these things. He goes, okay, the last thing you need to do, sell all your possessions. Sell all your possessions. So there's something to that, but I don't believe that this, that's what this is specifically talking about. 
There's two words for poor. One is not having any money, okay, in Greek. The other one is to be uh, miserable, destitute, poor. That's the root word in the Greek. And so here's a little intro to the most long-running play on Broadway and across the world. You guys know what it is, right? Right, that little girl with the flag, with the French flag. The movie is Les Mis, Les Miserables. There it is, The Miserables. I believe it's written by Victor Hugo. It's a big, thick uh, uh, book, but it goes on to describe the destitute uh, conditions of pre-revolution France where uh, women are seen to sell themselves for money, destitute, the poor that are considered like street rats that are stealing just to make a living. And here, uh, the center character, Jean Valjean, who um, morally stole a loaf of bread to feed his family was eventually sentenced to 20 years in prison and abused and a slave of the prison system. So what does this mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So blessed, we learn, means being favored by God. Those who are poor, destitute, miserable, in spirit. Not poor. When you see poor, don't look at a, don't see a dollar sign, okay? Don't see happy. Don't see happier those who don't have money. <laughs> For those, okay, don't, don't read it that way from now on. But blessed, God's favor for those that are miserable, destitute, in spirit. So it's not talking about financially. It's talking about morally, in your spirit, in your life. So the word for spirit is nubatas, your life spirit. What did uh, God do when he created Adam, right? He formed Adam out of the earth and did what? Breathe life, numa. Breathe life into him. So this is what it means to be poor in our self. Life, spirit and life could be interpreted as self. So blessed, God's favor is upon those who realize their destituteness of their self, okay? Emptying of our self. For theirs is, that's the secret. This is the secret. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another way of saying it, what does it mean to be poor in spirit, destitute in self, is the opposite of being full of yourself. <laughs> okay? It's another way of saying it. Proud, having pride. What does it say in Exodus 20? One of the first commandments. Do you guys know what the first commandment is? Ten commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All right? 
So even though in Genesis 1 we are made in the image of God, we have to realize we were made in the image of God. A poor, what is an image? It's a poor reflection of the real thing. This is what we need to realize. The Apostle Paul says, don't think of yourself too highly or too lowly, but with sober judgment, okay? And I think this is the error that people bring to the first beatitude, is we're not poor in spirit. We're full of ourselves. We have an inflated sense of our abilities, our thinking, our ability of right and wrong morally. This is what it means to be full of ourselves. When we are full of ourselves, of self, we become our own demigod, a little god. We become self-reliant in control, we think, of our own lives. How many of you here, now this is, uh, we should rename the church uh, Presbyterian Church, okay? You guys know what I mean by that? Huh? Do you? Do you? Do you know what presber means? Elder, old, elder, wise. That's the structure of a Presbyterian church. You don't become an elder as a young person. No. Presbyterian. There's wisdom in there. We think we're in control of your lives. So you guys are wise. I mean, I would, we would ask the world, how many of you think you're in control of your life? Okay? And the world on the street would say, yeah, I'm in control of myself. I do what I want to do or whatever. But I look at the presbytery here. How many of you think you're in control of your life? Would you agree there's a lot that's out of our control? Yeah? Yeah? I see nods. Yeah. Because when you're a presbyter, you live life. You realize that our life arc on this earth is pretty short, and you see things happen to people that we are not our own gods, right? That's what it means to be the opposite of porn spirit, being full of ourselves, a demigod. I do what I want, I say what I want, I live my so I live the way I want because I'm an American. So I'd say not only if it does mean dollar signs, America is going to have a hard time uh, entering the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? It's harder than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle for a rich person to inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. I think American churches, I think we need to meditate on that a little bit. That comes from Jesus' mouth there. But not only are we <clears throat> think we in control, we try to replace God. And you might say, oh, not me. No, no, that's not me. Well, what are the attributes of God? God is omnipresent. <clears throat> God is omni, um, omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He could be everywhere and do all things. God is omnipotent. He is strong and powerful to do everything. He is omniscient and knows everything. So being full of ourself, we can easily replace God by trying to be omnipresent. Look at Martha. 
Look at all the stress and probably ulcers and disease that she was giving herself. Juggling plates, meeting needs, trying to be there at two places at once, being spread too thin. This is what we do. Workaholics in America. However, God is spirit and can be ever-present and be in all places at once and can be in two places at once. God is omnipotent. When Jesus was arrested, Peter cut off the ear of one of the servants. By force, he was going to protect Jesus. Bullies, war, genocide, feuds, politics is all about power and control. Obsessing over people, controlling people, places, and things. And you guys see my strange obsession on Netflix? <laughs> when people get stressed in their life, they try to control certain areas of their lives, and sometimes it becomes an obsession. So people become, I don't know, hoarders, <laughs> right? They become hoarders. Strange addiction, but they try to control that part of their life. That's how it manifests. People with eating disorders, the stress, especially teen girls with all that stress that happens in high school, sometimes develop eating disorders because they can't control what's outside of their life. They control what's inside. Very strange. Very strange. They want to control their weight, so they, what's it called? They, I forgot what, yeah, it goes along with uh, bulimia. You know, they purge, but then they gorge, and then they purge, and they gorge, and they purge. It could be shopping, workaholism, shopaholism, alcoholism, any of the holisms. <laughs> control. We try to control. Part of the 12-step program is giving up control, giving up doing things our way and giving it to a higher power, that is God. I mentioned last week to uh, uh, one, one, someone in a small group that our physiologic middle age, okay, that is the arc that we stop growing and start losing you know, muscle cells, brain cells, <laughs> neurons. I was taught in school that it was 23 or 24. But uh, I went ahead and did a little research. I go, is it, you know, I was trying to, trying to find the reference for that. But I found that uh, many uh, references quote the age of 30. The age of 30. So everybody beyond the age of 30 here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know in your wisdom, being the presbytery, that we are not in control of our lives. Uh, who, who, who made that quote? Oh if, oh, if youth had ages wisdom. I forgot who's, who quoted that. Oh, if youth had ages wisdom. You know what that means, right? You know, too, too bad the... You know, life wisdom couldn't be combined with the, with the, uh, the, uh, the strength of youth, those under 30, right? Omniscience, God 
is all-knowing. The Bible talks about the difference between the fool and the wise. So I'm trying to steer this message to a, a more central point of us being, you know, demigods and replace of gods. But here, the Bible talks about in Proverbs a couple times, um, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is a way to death, okay? So this is the whole theme of mankind, humankind, doing what's right in our own mind. That's the way we become demigods, is uh, the question, should we worship God? Or do we need God? Do we need religion? And if you ask most people on the street, do you think you're a good person? Okay. If you think, you're, think about our relatives that won't worship God, they don't need religion, we, ask, we would ask them, do you think you're going to go to heaven <laughs> after this? Do you think you're going to go to heaven or hell to our relatives, our non-religious uh, relatives? And they would generally say, like most public, most people, I think I'm a pretty good person, right? Relatively speaking, right? I haven't been in jail. You know, I don't commit murder. I'm not stealing things from Nordstrom's and, and Louis Vuitton, like people on TV. I'm not like them. Yeah, I think, I think when I get to heaven, I think God will approve of me. That's how most people think. And I think that why, that's why this message, these passages and teachings of Jesus are so vital and important. If we can follow these things and inherit the kingdom of God, if we do the opposite, we can inherit the opposite. And there are, we all have friends and relatives that are on a conveyor belt, an escalator to eternity, just right around the corner. And the pride is amazing. The pride, where they won't entertain eternal conversations. They won't entertain hearing about God's standards, right? The pride is amazing. It's stupid. This is how people do the opposite of being poor in spirit. They're full of themselves, <clears throat> their wisdom, their riches, their money, their vitamins, whatever it is. They try to be demigods, replace God. In Judges 21, it says, In those days there, were, there was no king, so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So there it is, being your own God, that is, being your own standard of morality. Now we're honing in on morality, God's standard of morality. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those, woe to them. A warning, right? 
This is the motivation. Yeah, it's hard to talk about religion. It's hard to talk about eternal things to our non-Christian friends, family, and neighbors, right? It's hard. But they are on a conveyor belt to... They are on a wing and a prayer, man. They are gambling with their eternity. Right? I mean, how do they know that their morality is going to be acceptable to God? They don't know. They're doing what's right in their own mind. They're gambling. The pride is incomprehensible. The lack of humility is amazing. Proverbs 3 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. There it is. Do not be wise in your own eyes, relative eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Have that godly fear of God. I don't know if it was Jesus or Paul that said, don't, don't fear the one who could kill you, your physical life, but fear the one who could kill you and your eternal soul, <laughs> your forever essence. Godly fear. What is being poor in spirit? <clears throat> Morally, our standards are relative. People saying, I'm not a, such a bad person. But even against the Ten Commandments, we're easily guilty. And in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, apparently there are 613 commandments. If you want to look them up, go for it. I haven't. I'm not so concerned about it because I am saved by grace. Because the law was given to what? To show us that this is God's standard, right? The Old Testament was given to show the world that I am a holy God. You cannot live up to my standards. You cannot work. You cannot become a Pharisee, Sadducee, a religious student, pastor, priest, pope, whatever. Pope, poop, whatever. You cannot meet these simple things. Then Jesus came and showed us by teachings, and also his, by his example of what that standard looked like. He's, I mean, he, he not only explained the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, okay? Even if you say, like Paul, all 613, I have done every one. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I don't think you get it, all right? Jesus explained the standard. Jesus came by his example. I am the standard that no one could live up to my standard. And it's not that we are so bad. I like to say how holy, holy, holy God is. I love the song that we sang, the last one. All I have is a hallelujah to give you because God, you are, you are, you are holy. You're just so amazing. Your moral standard is high and above my relative thinking. That's what I like to focus on in evangelism. We are easily guilty. Take a look at this. I love this guy. He's a, 
His name's uh, Ray Comfort. Seeing the gospel, uh, what we took 40 minutes to try to wrestle with and explain for these evangelists to be able to <clears throat> share with someone in about 10 minutes or, or less, and seeing what people believe is right in their own eyes become poor in spirit and empty themselves to God's standard of morality. How many people think they are wise? They're headed to eternity on their own wisdom, on their own relative sense of morality, basically on a hope and a prayer. They are morally sufficient, they believe, but denying God's sense of morality and God's holiness as revealed in the Old Testament and New Testament and God's perfect example of morality in Jesus. To become empty, to listen to wisdom, is becoming poor in spirit, open to truth, not just what is right in our own eyes, but there was wisdom where? In my own head? Me, myself, and I? No. There's wisdom in the counsel of others and in God's revealed truth. God's moral standards and perfect justice says the wages of sin is death. The world doesn't want to hear that, do they? <clears throat> We're open to truth, hopefully, this presbytery of people. Does that resonate with you? The wages of sin is death? As far as, I'm, as far as I know, everyone I know is going to pass away someday. <laughs> it seems like truth to me. But the world is in denial. The world is blinded. It's almost... <laughs> if you haven't seen The Matrix, it's about people living in... The, the reality of the world, but the matrix, the, the real world is, you know, people are like living a lie. It's very interesting. And it's almost like this. People morally are denying that there's a God that created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. There's a God, there are people that are denying that God is not just this benevolent God, that God is a moral and just God, that there's consequences for the Hitlers of the world. There's consequences for the evil that's in the world. And there's consequences for our relative imperfection. Can we say it nice that way? There's consequences for our missing the mark of God's standards. It breaks my heart thinking about my friends, my relatives, that are just full of themselves. They're not poor in spirit. And they don't realize that the wages of sin is death. We're all going to get there. And it's the consequences of our imperfection. But they miss the truth as well, being open to God's amazing grace for us that whoever believes and calls upon the name of God, Jesus will be saved. Amen. 
So blessed are those who are poor in spirit. God's favor rests upon those who know they are destitute of God's holy, holy, holy standard of God, that we worship God, that this core of people, you presbytery, in our wisdom, we don't rely on our own thinking, but rely on God. And the benefit, the kingdom of heaven is ours. The kingdom of heaven is ours. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the teachings of, of uh, Jesus when he was on this earth. And your um, teachings, God, that unlock the keys to the kingdom of God to be a child of God, are there for us, for those that seek you with our whole heart, with our mind, our strength, that we just don't rely on ourselves. We thank you that we are, we acknowledge, we affirm, we are made in your image, in the image of God, a little lower than the angels. But yet, God, the Apostle Paul tells us, don't think too highly or lowly of yourselves, but with sober judgment. And God, what we see, what we know in our human mind is but a poor reflection of the real thing. God, we, we are here for in here today and gone tomorrow. We are like the grass of the fields that's here today and gone tomorrow. No one likes to hear that. God, we pray and we thank you for your salvation. For those here, worship you, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace, God. With that, we can be counted as children of God, your children, Lord. And we thank you and praise you for that, for that reconciliation, God, that you've extended to each one here that counts you as Lord of our lives. God, we pray for our friends and relatives, God. We thank you for the trials that uh, come into their lives, that shake their world, that rock their world, to wake them up to reality, that we are not, they are not in control of their lives, God. They are not gods of themselves with our possessions in America, our wealth, our security, our pension. God, sometimes it takes people a lifetime to become the thieves on the cross where eternity is just a day away. God, we pray for those that uh, are getting closer year by year that do not know you because we know your desire is that all people should come to know you. and We praise you for that. And so we have that same heart as well. I thank you for great comfort, for uh, showing uh, I'll say examples of how uh, people can come to contrition 
repentance, of godly sorrow about their moral lives and then begin to honor you, God. Honor you that we are not right, we are not just, we are not um, righteous in our own mind, God, but you are a holy, holy God. The ground we step on is holy ground before you, God. So we give you honor and praise and we thank you for your love and forgiveness and grace today. And all God's people said, amen. All right.